I never wanted that. I don't want to be a chick singer. I want to be known as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. So I packed my bags and I packed my acoustic. Then I moved to a town that is known for live music. Learned a cover or two so I know how to do it. Now I write my own songs. There's nothing to it. What's up, everybody? It is Sunday, July the 28th, 2019, and this is episode five of Singer Songwriter with Tom Meany. There's so much passion in Jamie's voice that you just want to climb inside it and hang out there forever. She's unafraid to channel the dark side of her own being. The woundedness is there, as well as the strength required to overcome it and redeem us all. That's what good music can do. Eliza Gilkison. Jamie Harris, how are you? I'm great, Tom. It's so good to see you. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> um, I'm not very good at this yet, Jamie. I think you're great at it. I'm <laughs> a fan of the podcast. I like begged you to come be on it. <laughs> So what is it like to get quotes about you from people with this kind of status? Well, you know how I totally flipped out when I discovered Eliza Gilkison. Yeah. Like, I think we were playing that um, Dripping Spring Songwriter Festival together. Yes. And it was so weird. Like, that week, this has never happened before, and it's never happened since, but I played, like, three different gigs before that festival. And all these people kept coming up to me, and they were like, oh, you sound like Eliza Gilkison. And I was like, who's that? Like, all I really knew about her was that Mike Hardwick, who I'm also a fan of, plays guitar with her. And that Mark Hallman had made some records for her. And then it happened again. Like, the next gig I played, someone was like, oh, you kind of remind me of Eliza Gilkison. And then I was like, fine. Okay, she's playing this festival that you and I were both playing, the Dripping Spring Song Writers Festival. And I saw her play solo. And I just completely lost my shit. I thought she was the best shit I'd ever seen. I went down a deep rabbit hole. I, I stayed in the parking lot downloading sure. all of her records. Yeah. And there was like a time in my life when I would force people to come over to my house and watch her ACL taping. Like I got really obsessive. Um, so it's pretty mind blowing to me that she has nice things to say. Yeah. About me. I mean, and it, it must be great. Not only that, because not only does she have nice things to say, but you've, had a chance to hang with her on, on several occasions, I believe. Absolutely. And yeah. so that is kind of a cool thing in a young singer songwriter's world. I can imagine. Um, so I'm so happy that you're here mainly because we get to hang out for a little bit and I haven't seen you in a while. I know. I love and it. <laughs> so hopefully we can just kind of shoot the shit for an hour, but, um, there are a few things that I think of when I think of Jamie Harris that, people that might listen to a podcast called singer songwriter would be interested in. Mm. The first thing is that when I first met you many years ago, well, several years ago, um, the one thing that I, or one of the things that I noticed was your work ethic. 
and you know, for a lot of us um, that have day jobs, we can use that as an excuse, but even you having a day job, you would be all over town um, collaborating with other songwriters, watching other songwriters and bands shows, singing harmonies <laughs> for countless artists. Um, it, was that a a conscious thing or was it just what how does that come about it's funny i was so brian patterson who plays guitar with me and i were just talking about this last night but you know i grew up in hewitt texas which is a suburb of waco and there really wasn't any place to go see live music there was a place called beatniks that would open up for a little bit and then kind of close down and then reopen and the cool thing about that was that since it was kind of the only place in Waco at that time for people of like mind to gather, all of the artists hung out there. So poets and punk rock guys and gypsy jazz bands and rock and roll bands. I was in like a Pink Floyd tribute band, you know, and then me with my folk pop songs. And, and so what it taught me was like the value of working with bunch of different kinds of artists and how I can use my voice in a way singing harmonies with people, which I've always loved that I wouldn't necessarily put into my own writing. Um, so when I got to Austin, I was just so excited that there was so much music to take in. And, you know, for me, I didn't, I, I basically only had access to clear channel radio where I grew up. So I didn't know about Patty Griffin. I didn't know about Buddy Miller. Um, I knew about Amy Lou Harris. I didn't know about James McMurtry and John D. Graham and all of these artists that I fell in love with when I came to the first ACL music festival. So to me, all of the heroes that were making this music that inspired me and I was like, oh my gosh, that's where I fit in. That's what I want to do. They were, they were all here. So it felt silly to not take the opportunity to learn as much as I could from here. But, you know, for a while I had this residency at One to One and it was a couple years before... I decided I was going to quit my job. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I knew it was coming. And I had a unique job where I could be gone on the weekends, like long weekends. I only had to work Tuesday through Thursday. And we had John Inman um, open the residency every week, which is great. Basically, his band is the same as Jimmy LaFave's band was at the end of Jimmy's life. And I just loved those guys, and I loved what they did, and I loved sharing the night with them. And then I would have a songwriter open the show every week, normally a touring songwriter. And one, I wanted to give my friends a place to come where they could be heard because my fans are so great. I knew that they would follow them on social media and, and actually buy their stuff and really care about their songs. And I also knew that I had to get on the road um, in order to really kind of go to the next level. And so my thinking around it was, well, I'll have these people come into town and open a show and then hopefully I can reach out to them when I get on the road. But what I didn't really realize until last night and Brian and I were talking about it was he said, you know, playing every week like we did for so long, the band got so tight, you yeah. know, like we worked really, Such a good band. really hard. I didn't even realize how hard I was working and how hard we were working because it just felt like a blast like I was getting to live out my dream and I couldn't believe that people wanted me to sing with them and that I got to sing on people's records it was just like oh my gosh I'm so grateful but now I mean because we did all of that work we were able to you know we played a festival in Oklahoma last week 
And I sent them a song, a voice recording of a song that we'd never played before. And we're on a huge stage playing in front of 2,000 people. And I said, let's just learn it at soundcheck. So we can, you know, we can do that. We can get together having not played in three months and just crush it. Right. You know, so it's like almost like I didn't, I wasn't totally aware. It wasn't exactly intentional. And even just now having some distance from it, am I able to have some perspective on what was happening? Well, your band is the example that I use when anyone either from out of town or some family that I have or, or someone on Facebook says, hey, I'm going to be in Austin. What's a band that I should see, especially when you're here more frequently um, before you hit the road. But uh, Jamie Harris's band is filled with I, I can only describe it as world class musicians. And um I definitely have had band envy, like, <laughs> God, what I would do to have that band, you know, um, but it all is because of Jamie and the songs and the fact that each one of the musicians is great adds to that. But it's all about the songwriting it, it, as the nucleus, I believe. Well, it's funny. I mean, there's that. But I also think we genuinely love each other. Like That's we're. Great a great tribe. Like Chris and I lived next door to John and Sela for a while. You know, Brian and I've known each other our whole lives and Eddie and Derek and I have become close as we started working together. And I was thinking about it yesterday, how grateful I am because there's never been a single show, no matter how small or how big, or no matter what was going on in anyone else's life, like every single member of my band shows up excited to play, which is kind of amazing for yeah, how long we've been playing is. together. It is. I, I, I have a daily conversation with my buddy Ray Prim, who you know. Yeah. And usually that conversation is around, Tom, don't have a band. Because <laughs> you got to keep, it's like a, having a relationship with five people, or in Ray's case, seven people. Right. You got to keep all of them happy and you got to get them all in a room at the same time at some point. But um, your band has always been phenomenal, in, in my opinion. I've got so much video footage just because <laughs> I've been to so many of your shows. Uh, I ran into Chris recently. He, I ran into him at Straight Music, and I had a chat with him because I have always heard there's something about, I don't know what it is that he adds, but I can tell that it's from a 80s time period and I used Simple Minds, the band Simple Minds, or if you have, if you're familiar with the '80s, the the soundtrack to uh, Breakfast Club, right? Something that he does just brings that back, and then you add that to your modern songwriting, and it's so, uh, for me, doubly good, just because I love what you're doing, and also I love to reminisce and hear those <laughs> things that bring me back in time. But you you mentioned um, Hewitt, yeah. And, um, so I happen to, to know your dad. <laughs> yeah. Are <laughs> you on Facebook? I'm on Facebook. <laughs> and we've, kind of and we've met in several, on several occasions. I think he's hilarious, but I also know that he's, um, he's very understated about it, but he's a guitar player and, uh, a songwriter. Uh, right. He sent me a song. Actually, we had like a one week song group and it was just me and him are the only ones that participated so i know that he writes songs and he records some stuff as well um, but i know that you have a musical family i do yeah so how does that how does that work how does that affect you growing up well my i wanted a pegasus for christmas when i was five like an actual flying horse okay. and <laughs> did you get did you get one um i did i got a guitar instead oh. So basically there was this Emmylou Harris Christmas song called Light of the Stable that I would not stop listening to. And that's when my dad noticed that I was 
into music and I got a guitar for Christmas and my mom now, my mother is writing songs now and they're wonderful, like wonderful songs. Does she play an instrument? Um, she does not. She played trumpet in high school. Actually, okay. she sat next to Matt Giles in high school oh, wow. in the band. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a trip. Matt Giles, local Austin musician. Yeah. So, um, but I think like, you know, my youngest brother is a guitar player and he is studying um, to be an engineer, recording engineer. And he's very into jazz and like Frank Zappa and tons. I mean, just tons of stuff. He's in that mode where he's soaking up everything and he's playing with Sela and Nicole Wagner around town and he's got a great band called the Irons they're like rock and roll really cool stuff yeah um they're kind of like Captain Beefheart actually their band and um but then my youngest brother he's into opera and classic right. country you know so we're all quite different in what kind of music we make um but one of our favorite games to play in the family I don't know if you've ever played this game where you're on a road trip and you like list a band, it would be like, you know, sticks. And then you're like, someone has an X now, X-ray specs, you know? So oh, wow. we would, yeah, we, we would uh, play that game a lot as a family. And, yeah. but my mom now she's like all about music festivals. She came on the Kayama cruise with us. Wow, She's yeah. totally supportive. Well, that's cool. So now the entire family is musical. Exactly. Well, she was musical already. She played in high school, played the trumpet, you said? Right. Talk about Kayamo. I think that's a pretty cool experience. Oh my gosh. So that's everyone's dream, right? To, to sing on a boat. Well, a big boat. Spe- well, I got to sing with Emilu Harris yeah. on that boat. <laughs> so I don't even know what to do with my life now that that's over. Cause that's pretty much been my lifelong dream, but it's cool because, um, you know, all the artists, since they're, you know, you're basically trapped on a boat together. There are a lot of really unique collaborations that happen that wouldn't right. anywhere else. Um, and it's pretty mind blowing. Like my friend Radislav was on the boat cause he plays with Sean Mullins and he played with Jimmy Lafave for a yeah. long time, which is how I know rad. And it was cool to have my, my youngest brother, Michael came and my mother and my youngest brother fell in love with Tommy Emanuel, wow. you know, cause he's really into guitar right. stuff and it was just a trip. But, um, there was a moment when I was singing on stage with Mary, um, Amanda Shires, Casey Chambers, who she grew up playing with her dad. So my dad turned me on to her music a long time ago and I've been a fan and Jerry Douglas, who's a fantastic legendary dobro player. And, you know, we have all these people on stage and we worked out some harmonies and I know that people are probably, you know, Amy Lou, just take whatever harmony you want and I will do, I will work <laughs> around it, you know? Yes. So I'm singing these like very low harmonies, which going back to Eliza Gilkison is something I love and I've really learned a lot from her, how to work those low harmonies and, um, and owning that part of my voice. But there, there are these two lines in a song where Emmylou kind of got to hear my re, quote, real, real voice, I guess. And she looked at me, she just like, her head just like snapped really fast. And she looked at me and I thought I was going to die. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> she gets it. Like she, I could tell in that moment that she got my voice and that she was, you know, approving of me. And my mother saw it in the audience and oh, started to cry. Cool. And so that was pretty mind blowing. Did you did you see your mom? I I couldn't see my mom. Okay, that's probably a good thing. I didn't even know if she could. I didn't know if she saw it or noticed it. You know, and then afterwards, Amy Lou told me that I added a lot to the show, and she was grateful that I was there. So, Kayama was pretty much the (laughs) best experience of my life. It was so great. I think that things like this they don't happen just because it's a random act in the universe. I really believe that working your ass off 
Well, one, you have to have, you know, you have to have talent, obviously. But on top of that, working your ass off and putting yourself in uh, the right position and the right place by working hard makes these kind of things happen. So now you've, you were an up and coming singer songwriter. A lot of the quotes that I have looked up and read about you are all about up and coming singer songwriter in Austin. Right. One of the new great singer songwriters from Austin, but now you're kind of all over. Right. So what is it like making that translation? Hmm. Well, it's interesting. Like I'm really grateful for having the experience of being able to go to the gospel brunch every week here, because that's something that really made my guitar skills a lot stronger. And with harmonies, I'm able to do what I could do in that situation with Emmylou Harris, where I could jump to a part pretty quickly and know if it was going to work. You know, it's kind of like muscle memory in me now. Um, I'm trying to remember. Well, you asked me the question. Again. <laughs> I'm sorry. The translation from Austin singer-songwriter yeah, to, to now touring? global touring singer-songwriter. Okay, well, that's interesting because it's complicated. I feel like it looks one way on the internet, um, but internally it feels quite differently. And I've been trying to do a lot of journaling about this time in my life because I feel like it's kind of a unique time that you don't hear a lot about. Um so my situation is, is that ever since I started playing, when I was a kid, I played in a duo with my dad. You know, we co-wrote songs together, we performed them together, and then I came to town singing with David Ramirez. And I've always had one other person with me on stage, for the most part. I've done some solo stuff, but for the most part, I've had one or two other people with me on stage. You know, the most stripped back thing I'll do is me and a fiddle player, me right. and a guitar player. And I played so long with the band, and I felt like that is such a powerful way to present those songs and I know how to lead a band you know one of the reasons probably the primary reason that I write songs is because I'm not so great at verbalizing how I feel and I with a song I can sit down and put it in a formula and perform it and say exactly what I want to say and in a band scenario you know, I can put the spotlight on someone that just played a great solo or just say, you know, hey, what's up and kind of get the crowd going. And all of the touring I've been doing, it's been incredible because it's like the dial got turned up a little bit, but I'm alone on stage, just me and an, an acoustic guitar. And for a while, it was terrifying. I just kept, I felt like I was falling through space. I just felt like I was failing and I would come back to town and people are like, Oh, you're doing so great. You're doing so great. And I, you know, just want to be grateful and say, thank you. You don't want to unload. Oh my gosh, I'm dying inside. This is really hard, but it's taught me a lot of things. And I feel like I'm just now clicking in and having some ideas about what I want to do in the future. But it's taught me a, you know, if all I have is my acoustic guitar and my voice, even though I can do a lot of things with my voice, which is why I love singing harmonies with other people where I get to belt out or do something crazy. Like singing with Western youth, I get to like rock out, you know? My favorite songwriters like Leonard Cohen, Towns Van Zant, you know, Guy Clark, they're not exactly doing these crazy vocal things, you know? Right. So when I write a song, a lot of the times it feels like those things that I can do with my voice wouldn't necessarily serve the song. And now I'm understanding, wow, if my voice is all I have to work with, 
I should write for that voice because it's a tool that I have that I feel like I've shied away from using because it feels showy offy. And I, I never wanted that. I don't want to be a chick singer. I want to be known as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. And there was a point, you know, for a long time when people would say, Oh, I really like your voice. I really like your voice. And then it took till about three years ago where people said, wow, I really like your songs. And now people are deeply connecting with the songs, but I feel like I have gotten stronger about talking about things on stage and I'm realizing that, of course, it's 2019 and I'm a folk singer and I have some stuff that's directly, you know, sociopolitical, but I didn't even realize a song like Snow White Knuckles that I could use to talk about the criminal justice system, which is, you know, where my passion is. Um, now I tell a story about a recovery center in Tulsa that I've been made aware of that's helping to break the cycle of intergenerational incarceration in Oklahoma because Oklahoma incarcerates more women per capita than any state in our country. And I didn't know that. So it's kind of amazing to see what songs now I can use for a greater purpose um, because it's weird to just, you know, say, oh, I wrote this song because of a breakup, you know, or you, you can't even say that on stage. It feels weird. So I feel like with the new songs that I'm writing that it's made me a better songwriter because it's made me want to tell somebody else's story or really figure out how I can shine the light on that. But for a while, it was uncomfortable. Well, <laughs> so I recently saw you at uh, The Cactus. Mm -hmm. Probably the coolest, um, we'll call it a listening room in town that's left. And you did play a solo set. And it was very, very good. Thank uh, you. In that the connection now i know how great it is to be in the room when your band is playing but the solo thing is a whole different experience um i think it's kind of what all singer songwriters that are doing a solo acoustic type set strive for a completely uh, engaged audience that is completely connected to what you're saying um your stories do connect and i've noticed um your banter and, and the things that you talk about in between songs has kind of changed over the last few years um, where you used to make fun of the fact that you're a little bit quirky and a little bit nervous. And um, that's, that's the reality. So it's great. I mean, the people that are listening just want to know what's going on and they want to hear what you're thinking in the present moment, not something that you have worked on as a story right. over you know, the months that you've been playing the song live. But another thing that happened that you taught me that I, I was taught indirectly, but you brought me up on stage to sing <laughs> yeah. harmonies <laughs> and I hadn't sung harmonies with you in a while. Um, but what I realized while I was standing up there, what I, I realized this very early on when I got up on stages, uh Oh, I don't have a guitar on me. What do I do? <laughs> what, Ron do Burgundy, do? what do I do with what my do hands? What do I do with my hands? I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Wow, what a great reference that would have been. <laughs> I had no idea because it is the first time in my short career that I have ever sung uh, on stage. Well, no, you've brought me up several times, like when you'd bring up a whole group of people to sing right. along. Mm -hmm. But then there's like eight other people on stage and I don't have to worry about what's going on with my hands. But there's video of me. And I just have my, <laughs> I just have my hands straight down and it looks like I'm a robot or someone who is about to shit his pants. But, <laughs> it was, but then, so after I did that, you know, I knew the words and I'll, maybe mm -hmm. I'm not the best harmony singer, but you I did great. know the words. Then I watched you 
sing harmony when Mary Gaucher was on stage. And I was like, that's what you got to do. Just you're, ha- you're feeling it. You're having a good time. You're, ca- you're dancing, basically. <laughs> yeah. And it just adds so much. And I don't know if that's natural or if you had to think about that ever at any point. Have you, has that ever occurred to you, like at some point, coming up on stage without a guitar? Um, yes, but I've always enjoyed singing harmonies. So I feel more comfortable. I would feel more comfortable singing harmonies with someone that I've never sung with before on the first time than I did for the first four months of playing a bunch (laughs) of solo shows. But I have this thing. I've just accepted that it's never going to change where I pretty much do a Ron Burgundy thing with my hands. (laughs) They like, no matter what I do, they just come up and they stop just under my boobs and then I'll notice it and like kind of push them down. You know, but it just, I, it's just going to happen. It's, there's nothing to change it. I'm always going to be that way. Well, so I'm just owning it now instead of trying to Well, thank you for, it. for making me realize that that's something that I need to uh, work on, but I appreciate that. I appreciate you bringing me up. Oh, thanks it was, for I doing mean, it. I think I've actually played at the Cactus a couple times. You were responsible for one of those times. So really being in front of that kind of crowd is a, is a treat just because it's such a legendary venue. Um, but that was cool that, that you brought me up. So thanks for doing that. And you, okay. So earlier, I want to touch on this. Sure. You talked about how you highlighted someone on stage in the band or someone that you brought up on stage. Mm -hmm. Um, and you do that a lot. Mm -hmm. And here's a quote. She's quick to pay homage to her musical heroes but Jamie Harris is her own person with her own voice. She's got a natural songwriter's instinct for the hard truths and a voice that brings them home with a visceral punch. Pay attention. Gretchen Peters. So even very, very high profile people notice that you're very humble, but you always like to give credit. And that's, I'm, I'm seeing that that's rare these days. So why would you say that it's so important to you? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, my story was, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I was 14, 15, David Ramirez would call me up to sing with them. You know, he took me on my first tour when I was 18 years old. So when Bonnie got the tour with James McMurtry, I'm like, I need to find someone else to be on this tour with me. What am I going to do? And I thought of Christina Cavazos. She's fantastic. She can sing harmony. I love hanging out with her. I love the opportunity to get to know her better. So I asked her to go on the road with me. You know, but I feel like, you know, well, Betty Sue, I mean, the day that I went to jail was the day I met Betty Sue. And when I got out of jail, she sent me a text message asking if I would open a show for her. You know, and she gave me a chance without hearing my original songs, really. I think she had only heard us do a cover songs, you know, with Five and Dime, that trio I was in with Ellen O'Meara and Darwin Smith. And that was like a risk, you know? So I just feel like the only reason that I've had the opportunities that I've had, I mean, yes, I've worked hard and yes, I've worked on my craft. Um, but it's because people like Jimmy LaFave and Gretchen Peters and Eliza and Kevin Russell have personally scooped me up and brought me into the fold. Right. And, you know, even just this past week, I had a moment with a songwriter that I've really loved for a long time and we've always gotten along you know um we've always been cool but i felt like something happened um like i kind of feel more in my power now because one of the things that i've learned is like if you're 
in a situation with Emmylou Harris, you can't play small. Like, I want to be humble, but I struggle. I'm struggling with this. You know, I, I never did the like, oh, you know, sorry me to be like cutesy or anything. That's really how I feel. Like, wow, I can't believe a I'm alive. B I'm not in jail. You know, like I just. I can't, it's, my mind is blown by all of that. So I truly feel grateful and I can't believe how much and how quickly my life has changed. But I've also noticed that if you're in that situation, you have to own your power. Right. You have to like be firm and act like you fucking belong there. Right. And that's new for me. And that's been uncomfortable for me because I still feel like I'm not, I'm not one of those, but I really put a lot of intensity to this thing that I played. And I noticed afterwards that the songwriter that I've respected for a long time, that I gained his respect. It was a different interaction with him that I've never had before. Right. And he started telling me all these cool stories and he started letting me into his songwriting process, which is something that's never happened before. But I'm very aware that the only reason that I've come really come so far is because people have pulled me up. So if there's someone that I think is talented and I have whatever little influence or platform I have to bring that person up and to make people aware of them. I want to do that because that's actually what's helped me have a career. Right. You know what? That's a good segue. Cause you mentioned songwriting process. Mm -hmm. That's, that's idea number two that mm -hmm. when I think of Jamie Harris, I am in awe of your songwriting, but I'm your friend, <laughs> but I'm also fascinated by the songs that you write. Now, I know that there are songs that you've written as a result of song groups oh, yeah. and prompts, but also I remember you talking about how your wall or your mirror is basically covered with post-it notes. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. So I, um, I have... Uh, in the past, it's changed a little bit, but if I'm writing, I, I'll usually write a lot of songs in one spurt and then I'll kind of stop for a bit and then write a lot of songs in one spurt. And oftentimes I realize that what gets me into the song, whether it's, it's, it's usually a verse, it's usually not a chorus. Um, there are some exceptions to that obviously, but um, I've noticed that that verse typically doesn't end up being the first verse. It's usually the second, sometimes the third. And I still love working on paper. Um, I'm not really a computer person when it comes to writing. I just like the idea of working with the words in a way. And what I started doing was writing these ideas on post-it notes and then I could physically move them around. So I didn't have to, it was kind of like born out of laziness, I guess. So I didn't have to like erase or delete and move. So once I started doing that and physically moving them around on my wall, sometimes I would realize that a song that wasn't finished a piece of that actually belonged in a different song. And so I can physically move the pieces around like a, like a weird roadmap I'm making on my wall. And it's helpful to my process. It's interesting that you mentioned that you'll write a verse or your songs will start out with a verse, but it's not the first verse because I think most songwriters is, uh, uh, well, I can say me, I'll talk for myself when I come up with a verse immediately, I think, okay, that's the first verse and let's work from there. Um, and I read somewhere, uh, and I can't remember who, I don't know who to credit for this, but they said, uh, maybe it's the second verse. Maybe you haven't written the first verse yet and just keep writing verses and, and you may have 10 verses mm -hmm. to pick from. Um, but I think that's interesting, um, that you start from the second verse cause I've never heard of that, um, before. 
Um, but it's all a, a puzzle. So if you've got one piece, it's almost like a mathematical equation. You can solve for X and Y and kind of get there when it's all said and done. Right. Well, I think it's because for me, I mean, a lot of my songs are obviously confessional. Um, but and like, like I mentioned before, I sit down to write be- probably because I can't make sense of something in my own head. So oftentimes I feel like the second verse is kind of how I'm feeling now or what I'm observing now. And to go back and look at the first verse, like where it begins requires me to go inward or sometimes outward and do some research about something and find the story or the cause behind something. And that ends up being the first verse. And then through finishing the song, writing the third or fourth, however many verses there are, the song informs me of an experience. You know, the song usually educates me in some way that I don't even know. And like I said, like I wrote Snow, Snow White Knuckles five, almost six years ago, really new in sobriety. And when I wrote that, you know, I would have people come up to me and say, you know, that they were in recovery and it connected with them, which is important. But when we got the opportunity to play that song for these 50 women in women in recovery in Tulsa, oh wow, um, which is an organization that they basically provide housing for women at different stages. When they first get into the program, they have like dorm housing and then they move on to their own apartments um, and teaches them educational skills and cooking skills, conflict resolution skills, parenting skills, 12-step recovery. It's just amazing what they're doing. It's an alternative to jail for first-time nonviolent um, drug and alcohol offenders. And playing the room with playing that song in that room with those women that are, I mean, hardcore, intense women, and all of them broke down and were crying. I've been playing that song for almost six years. I've never had that experience. Wow. And now I'm able to use that song in a way and raise awareness about the criminal justice system and, you know, what, and tell my own personal story about how, you know, the state wanted me to relapse in order to reset my sobriety date. So my insurance would cover, I remember. I'm able to use that song in a way that I had no idea I was going to be able to use it for when I wrote it. Yeah. I remember you talking mm-hmm. about that. And I like how you, when you have something that you're very passionate about, um, you, maybe you're not doing this on purpose, but when you talk about it publicly, you have so many people listening. So it sheds light on, on these, these things that I didn't know about, like, uh, the issue in Texas with, um, the DNA, um, testing. Right. I had no clue until you brought that up and, and you were so passionate about it and spoke uh, everywhere about it. Right. Um, so I like that you're basically, you kind of, put up, you know, what, yeah. what it is that you're passionate about, not just in song, but also, um, just having a public forum being that you are Jamie Harris and everybody loves Jamie. Harris. Oh gosh. I don't know about that. <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, I consider myself a folk singer. I want to, I want to use, you know, this gift that I have to help people and to raise awareness and to speak for people that, you know, might not have the same platform that I have. Right. That's the whole goal is to help people. For me, at least personally, the second part of songwriting question is the song prompt Mm -hmm. version of songs, right? So I've been fortunate enough to be in a couple songwriting groups uh, where where we work off a song prompt, which I talked about in the last uh, podcast with Ray. Is your process different other than okay? Now you've been given a word. Do you sometimes take 
bits and pieces of ideas that you've had before, or do you always start from scratch with the prompt? I always start from scratch. With oh, the wow. Prompt. That's Every very time. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I've done that. And I'd like to get back into another group. It's just not great timing right, right now. Right. Um, but yeah, I like the challenge of writing something around it. And I find that I often end up keeping those songs. I mean, there are, so many songs that ended up on Red Rescue that came out of right. the songwriting prompt. You would probably remember more than I would. Yeah. I think like Hurts As Good As It Feels was one of them. Yep. Catch It Now was definitely one of them. I think uh, Damn, Damn Right. Right was one yeah. of them. Um, Depressive State might have been one I of them. I think so. It's such a cool, I got to tell you what's really satisfying for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so being in a group with you uh, and then hearing songs, hearing you perform a song that was a prompt in the group um, and then realizing, okay, it's a keeper for her because she's playing at every show and then hearing it on an album is really, really, really cool and satisfying. And that's why I think being in song prompts, is, I mean, song groups is really great because I can go around town Saturday and hear three people play a song with a prompt that was in a group that I was in. And I think one, just in general, it's a good thing for your songwriting, but two, it's there's some satisfaction, especially I I don't want to brag, but a couple of those prompts were my prompts that I created. <laughs> brag now, away, meaning brag now away. Now they're hit songs. <laughs> All right. Speaking of hit songs, Jamie, we've just talked about songwriting. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm gonna give you the option. And it's actually you have three choices. This podcast was recorded on the Roadcaster Pro, the world's first fully integrated podcast production studio. Whether you're a seasoned podcaster or just starting out, the Roadcaster Pro is all you will ever need. Find out more at road.com slash Roadcaster Pro. All right, Jamie. Do you want to intro this one or just go for it? Sure. This one is called The Fair and Dark Haired Lad. And I, uh, this is a co-write, which is unusual for me. I don't do a whole lot of co-writing. Um, but I wrote this song with Dirk Powell, who lives in Lafayette, Louisiana, is a producer. He's produced some stuff for Rihanna Giddens and has been Joan Baez's band leader for like 20 years. And uh, a girl from Canada named Katrina Noel, who's in a great band called Les Hay Babies. Wow. <laughs> yeah, lots of fun. Go for it. Could drive, mama left it on the counter Half full one night Felt the fire in my chest Shook the hand of the fair and dark-haired lad Well, he crept through the bars Hid behind the door But he ain't got a reason to hide no more Took the seat at the table that my daddy once had Fair and dark-haired lad No hands but a minute 
lips lingers like love gone bad, fair and dark haired He's got no voice, but he calls my name. I feel his blood running through my veins. His laughter howls like a dog gone mad, fair and dark haired lad. You know what's so cool for me, and this is uh, me being kind of a jerk, but... A jerk? How cool is it to have a brand new Jamie Harris song Harris song on your brand new <laughs> podcast? Yes, dope. I feel legit. Oh, thanks, Tom. <laughs> All right, I'm going to turn this uh, condenser off. All right. Cool? Are you comfortable? Cool. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. That was great, Jamie. Thanks, Thank Tom. You. I really like that song. Thank you. It's so cool to hear a fresh song. It's so cool to hear. I get those goosebumps on the back of your neck. You know what I'm talking about? Wow. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> Thanks. I'm so honored. So I know that you've been, because I've been missing you and not getting to see you in town so much, I know that you're splitting time between here and Nashville. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Any major differences that stand out a whole lot because i think if you're from here a lot of people think okay this is the place to be and then if you're from another place and you're a songwriter people think nashville anything major stand out to you well there's no barton springs which sucks <laughs> no. uh, and everything shuts down early which is oh, rough for me yeah, you know you and i are both really nocturnal right but no i mean i have noticed things like okay now i have breakfast meetings instead of meet with people at the diner at 10 p.m., right. you know? Um, but it's been interesting. I mean, even though I've been there since October, I've, like, been on the road so much that it's it's kind of, like, 
not living anywhere. So for a while I was feeling like really destabilized and kind of freaking out. Um, but what I have learned is, um, because the business is there, I'm, I know I'm, I'm not going to be in the mainstream country machine. And I would obviously like to have the best, best success that I could have. Um, but I almost got a deal for Red Rescue and it fell through because I couldn't get a booking agent and I couldn't get a manager and I couldn't get a PR, like PR person, like one person would kind of agree and then kind of drop off. Mm -hmm. And I figured, well, like one, I can't afford to live in Austin if I'm going to go full time, uh, which is true. I just right. couldn't afford to live here. And I knew that I was going to have to get closer to the business in order to accomplish those things. And um, I haven't really been in Nashville long enough to give you a fair assessment, but I do know that it's great that if I have questions from, you know, for the guy that may potentially sign me that I can call him and he'll go to lunch with me and help me brainstorm and help me make sense of things in my brain so that I can have a better chance for the next record or the next phase. And, um, I have a lot of ideas about that, that I'm, I'm not quite ready to share, but one of the things I realized it's like. I feel like with that looming over my head, I kind of made this like, I was kind of freaking out because I thought, oh, well, this next record, like it has to be the one and I have to do everything right. And then I just decided, you know, my heart is telling me, my gut is clicking in and it's telling me to make this particular kind of record, which is very different than the first record I made for so many reasons. Um, and it wouldn't be the one that I would throw everything at. But for some reason... I feel this intense gut feeling to make this kind of record. And then, then with the third record, really try all the business stuff, because I feel like, you know, I know there's, there are things that you have to do to give your record the best chance and to give your career the best chance. But I think what I need to do as an artist is to make one more record before I really try, which is funny. Cause I feel like there are people that have told me like, Oh, how did you not hire a PR person for your record? Or how did you not do this and this and this? And I had a lot of guilt around it. You know, but recently I feel like it was the right move because I'm not quite ready for all of that stuff yet. Being up there and seeing what everyone else has accomplished and what they're working on, I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm still the puppy, in the, you know, I'm the road pup amongst all these guys. And I right. want to be really smart about what I do. And I think that that means patience, but I'm going to, just like I sat here, you know, in, in Austin and learned everything that I could from the live scene and I learned how to remain true to my own art and to listen to my gut here, you know, and how to put on a live show that's captivating for people. But in Nashville, I'm learning how to soak up the business information and to figure out, I feel like I'm in a unique position because if I don't jump too fast, I can have a little more control in how I want things to go for my career. And now that I'm in a really serious relationship, that feels really important, you know, to make those decisions and, and to make sure it's the best for the, the long-term goal. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. So you mentioned Red Rescue and Red Rescue was very highly anticipated because we all in this town, basically, I don't know if I should say we watched you grow up because that period wasn't that <laughs> long, but um, we, loved the songs and i'm speaking for the city of austin now <laughs> we loved the songs we knew that the album was coming up and when it did finally come out it did not disappoint 
And so it seems odd for me to even ask the question about the next album, but I know that you write so many songs that I'm sure there are enough songs for four or five or six albums probably in your repertoire. But um, so is, is this something that's actively happening now or no, I'm not making it, but I feel like not currently. Mm -hmm. I just feel like within the next, the past couple of weeks it all clicked in. So it could change, you know, who knows? But what I've realized, like by, like I said, playing alone solo and these things that, you know, um, with my voice and just like there are songs that I like to write that I'm sitting down and, and I'm just not able to accomplish that. And I've, kind of realized like, well, Woody Guthrie already wrote a song that speaks to kind of what we're dealing with in 2019. You know, Betty Sue wrote a song that speaks to this, you know? So I think what I'd like to do for this next record, because my problem is I've got a collection of songs that make sense together and then another collection of songs that make sense together, but they don't match up with each other. You know, it's like five here and five here, but that doesn't make the same album. And so I'm thinking about, actually recording some other people's songs because that's what Amy Lou Harris did. She found the best songs for the time. And if there's something that I want to say and draw attention to, it doesn't mean that I have to be the one to write it. I know this is a songwriting podcast, but it's like, why not take these other songs that people have written that really, really nail what needs to be said during this time. And I can shine the light on that story with using my voice. Right. So I think that's what's coming for the second record. I think that it's great that you're now at a point where singing other people's songs is, is that is a reality for you on a record. Um, that's not something that many songwriters get to do um, or will have the choice to do. Um, I think that's great though. Thank you. Um, you mentioned a relationship. Yeah. Your relationship. Yeah. Can I read a quote? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know where you're going with this. This is a quote. <laughs> I just like the way she looks. <laughs> Mary Gaucher. You're the first person to catch that. It's been up there since August. I, I saw love that, that you were the first person to catch it. It just made me crack up. It was so funny. I am very happy for you. Thank you. I, I won't get into all your your love life and personal business, but I am happy for you. Thank you. Um, I will say that your relationship has introduced me to Mary Gaucher's music. And I remember Becky Warren mm-hmm. telling me about Mary Gaucher because we were there and Mary was playing at, or no, she was going to play Kerrville and I left. And I don't know if it was because of torrential flooding or something, <laughs> something. crazy like that. Yeah. So I didn't get to see her, mm. but Becky told me she's one of my favorite songwriters. Um, so it's, it was in the back of my mind um, but then finally, when I went to the Cactus Cafe show, not only was I introduced to her music, um, I got to meet her after the show, and that was such a treat for me. Um, as a performer, I was just so happy because she's so funny. So funny. <laughs> her stories in between songs are great and funny. And I just want to say that I'm happy for you. Thank you. Can see, can you see why it would be intimidating? I can She's understand. She's the that. master of that. She's so well spoken. I mean, all the time. Like when she talks to me, it's like she's speaking in song. Oftentimes, it's like, wow. <laughs> the songwriting power 
of this duo is like the Wonder Twins from back in the day. This, <laughs> I don't know if that was Marvel or Captain, whatever it was. Um, what do you got coming up? Yeah, I got a lot of stuff coming up that's exciting. Like um, in September, I'm playing a house show at like one of my favorite places to play in Chester, Maryland. It's called Mecham Creek House Concerts. Um, Dave and Kathy Ariel put that on and they are the best. She makes this granola <laughs> that I just like... I love her granola so much and they're so sweet and I love hanging out with them. And so that'll be fun if you're, it's not too far from Baltimore, DC, um, beautiful, beautiful home. And they've got a great series. They have a lot of our buds up there that, that play up there and Ooh. they're so great to artists. And then I'll be doing, uh, I'm an official artist for Americana festival this year. That's so cool. Yeah. Congrats. And I'll be, thank you. And the band's coming up. Oh, wow. Um, Jane will be singing with me, Jane Ellen Bryant, who's a great songwriter. And I'll also be collaborating a lot with Western youth. Um, who I love. I, that's that's my jam. Yeah, those, uh, those dudes. That's actually going to be Western Youth is that Thursday. So that would be September the 12th, I think. That's great. That's a great yeah. question. Yeah, we're part yes. of the Texas Music Office and the Kessler Presents are teaming up to put together a showcase. Um, and then after that, the week after that, uh, Graham Weber and I are definitely going to go to Coney Island for a day and eat fried clams and ride coasters. And, um, and then we're playing the Brooklyn Americana festival. And wow. so for that Western youth will be my backup band and then I'll sing with them. Um, and then I'm doing an awesome tour, um, in the Northeast. We've done a show that's really fun with Gretchen Peters and her husband, Barry Walsh who's an amazing harmony singer and piano player. He played piano for Waylon Jennings for a long time. And it's just her new record. Gretchen Peters record is a masterpiece. Wow. There's a song on there called the boy from rye. That's mind blowing. And, uh, and Mary and I, so we, it's a really fun show. Cause it gives me the, that kind of that comfort of being with people like playing my own songs, but having people around and Barry and Gretchen sing on, my tunes and that's kind of a dream come true. So we're hitting the Northeast in September and then Mary and I are in Europe for most of October. Yeah. And November. I've, I've been looking at your schedule and I, and I, there's so many and the UK, you, yeah, and the UK. there's so many shows. I can't, I couldn't mention them all, but I mean, you're in <laughs> Albuquerque coming up in August. Um, you're in Letterkenny, Ireland yeah, and Belf Belfast, Dublin, London, and just on and on and on. So um, I'm just so proud of you, Jamie. Thank you. So happy for you. Thank and you. I, I wish you continued success. Thank you. Let's do a show together sometime. I am always <laughs> down for that. Jamie Fantastic. and I have played many, many house shows together and, and other like in the round type shows. And uh, I've learned a lot from her. And uh, just it's so it's so good to, to be on the same stage as Jamie. Um, because their songs are so good. And so I've also been in uh, in the round shows where I'm playing with people that aren't so good. So <laughs> there is a difference in the experience. But I'm just really happy. I would play a show with you at the drop of a dime. Oh, and if you. you ever bring me up on stage again uh, to sing harmonies, I will not keep my hands down. You just do it. straight down <laughs> like some kind of... doesn't bother me. I'm just stiff. glad that you're up there. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the podcast and hopefully um, when we have a chance to, to hang out again, we can do this another time because I'm sure you're going to have even better, crazier, cooler, not, not that all this isn't cool. You're going to have so many more experiences to talk about. Well, thank you. And thanks for doing this because I, I personally have been listening to your podcast, you know, while I'm 
I'm on the road and I've learned a lot from the other artists that have come on here and, and shared and Natalie Price, like I've known her, but I, I didn't know her musical journey at all. And so that was really, I was like, wow, she is brilliant. She's really smart. All those moves that she made with the record, like I just have a lot of respect for her and of grace, of course, who I love. So I'm just, uh, I got to listen to the Chris's episode cause I love him too, but it's, uh, it's been really comforting to me on the road and in a time when I feel, um, insecure and I have doubts, it's cool to hear from other artists and to hear how their brain works. So thank you for making well, this available to I appreciate songwriters. That. Mainly it's for my own selfish uh, <laughs> knowledge, but. Hi, this is Grace Pettis and you're listening to singer songwriter, Tom Meany. So much, Jamie. It's okay. <laughs> That'll be edited out. No worries. Uh, as far as my shows, I've got a show August 8th with James Jean at the Townsend. And I've got a show September 14th with Ray Prim at the Hotel Cafe in Los Angeles. I need a bunch of LA people to gather and come hang out with Ray and I. We need butts and seats. Thanks for listening to the Singer Songwriter Podcast. And I will talk to you next Monday. I'll put an orchestra in your head Every time you go to bed Let that sweet, sweet melodies Blow your scary memory away ATOM, Buda.